Well, like my mom said, I'm not here today, but it's not because I'm grounded. I'm actually probably in the back of the room somewhere, at least half the services this weekend. Now, the reason that we're doing this on video today is because Scott and I are going to do something different today. We're going to, we're going to tell some of like our, our favorite stories or, or moments that have happened in this room, and we're also going to bring back some of our favorite songs. And there's a reason we're going to do that. Um, the first reason is, you know, as, as pastors, Scott, we get to hear a lot of your stories. You, you, you mail them to us, you email them to us, or we have great conversations out there in the lobby, and we, and we love that, about how, you know, as you've worked through things in your life, and this place has made a difference. You know, as you've kind of wrestled with some stuff with God, or your own heart, or, or your families, or your relationships, this place has, has really made a difference over the last year, or maybe the last several years, however long you've been coming here. So we want to go back and look at some of that. The, the other thing is, we get asked this question a lot, is, is about our music. And it's not just about why is it so loud, and the answer is because we like it that way. But the, uh, w- the question we get asked a lot is, so why do you guys play so many songs that aren't like churchy or religious? You know, there are songs like you, we hear on the radio or the songs that we grew up with in high school or college, and, and why do you do that? And the answer is not, by the way, because um, we're trying to be the coolest church in town. Although, I have to say, I think our band is probably the coolest band around. Um, now, the, the reason we, we play all kinds of different music is for a couple of dis- different reasons. The first one, I, I can go back and point to the Bible. You know, as, as we read, you know, the Bible, people like Jesus and this guy named Paul, who wrote a big chunk of the Bible, were always quoting, like, local philosophers and poets. And those are kind of like the rock stars of, of those days. And, and so Jesus would be teaching along, and he quotes somebody and goes, see, your, your own rock stars, your, your own poets are saying the same thing. They're, they're looking for the same things in life. And I'm telling you, the questions that everybody has, um, Jesus says, I can help you answer that. So you can find your answer in, in me. You know, the, the other reason we do so much non-churchy music is that we really believe that all truth comes from God. You know, if, if a song that you hear on the radio or just you know, away from church is a story that says, you know, this is what I found to be true in life or this is what went well for me or this is what I'm really struggling with. You know, a lot of times that lines up with what Jesus was saying. You know, it lines up with what he said he was true. And so, what better way? Because a lot of us are trying to figure out, does Jesus, you know, this, this guy in this book that's like 2,000 years old, does he understand my life? And when we look at a song that we heard on the radio on the way to church, and Jesus, and they're both asking or answering the same questions, what, what better way to connect with, he really does understand my life. And, and here's the other thing is that, the, the questions people ask today and the questions people asked Jesus like 2,000 years ago are pretty much the same questions. And here's the question that, that people asked Jesus 2,000 years ago, and it's the same question people are asking today. And the question goes like this. Um, what is or, or really is there anything that, that I can lean my life against? Is, is there anything that, I, I, that won't let me down, that, that will take care of me when life doesn't make sense? In other words, is there anyone or anything I can trust I can lean my life against? And, and that's called faith. Can I have faith that something or someone's going to take care of me, that I'm going to be okay? I go back about a year ago from this weekend, we kicked off a series called um, House of Cards. And, and we, we looked at this whole concept of what is faith and, and what, is, what faith is not. And, and the bigger question is, why do so many of us, and maybe that's in this room even today, why do so many of us go through times in our life where our faith just falls apart? See, see, faith, to some of us, we, we kind of see faith as, as a cause and effect thing. You know, if I do good things, good things will happen. If I do bad things, bad things will happen. It's kind of that, that, that old karma, yin, yin, yang thing, you know. And some of us see faith, and this is probably a lot of us in this room, we kind of grew up with faith as a, a religious formula. You have to do certain things and do them enough and do them the right way 
like go to church and read your Bible and pray and get money and, you know, stop cussing or whatever that is. And if you do enough of that in the right order, then somehow you can get God to do stuff for you. He wasn't going to do, but then you kind of faithed him, and now he's like, okay, because you, you, know, you, you hit the, the jackpot, you know, I'm, I'm going to do some stuff for you. And I guess all that's okay until your formula doesn't work. You know, when, it's, it's okay when you, know, you do good things and good things happen, but what happens when you do good things and, and bad things happen? You know? And then, then you don't understand. I, I thought that if I did this, God would do this, and we find times in our life and it just doesn't make sense. And a lot of us, this is our conclusion. And this is why we left church a long time ago. And maybe we're trying to be back even this weekend for the first time. The thing is, there must be something wrong with me. I must not have enough faith or, or I'm, not, I'm not doing it right. Or if I had more faith, God would you know, take better care of me. Or maybe there's something wrong with God. Maybe, maybe he doesn't love me. Or maybe he can't help me. Or maybe he's just mean and, and, he, and he won't help me. And a lot of us find a lot of places in our life going, I don't know what I believe or if I believe anything anymore because it just doesn't make sense that's a lot of our stories but, but what jesus taught and this is kind of this theme that's been going all through like every message that scott and i have hit over the last year this theme keeps coming back is that faith is not a formula that if you do things right then god will do things for you and if you have enough faith then god will change your circumstances and you'll never get sick and your kids will be fine and you'll win the lottery and you know every, everything will go your way jesus never said that as a matter of fact the, the way jesus defined faith went like this that in spite of our circumstances, whether things get better or worse, and here's the definition, definition we've been using all, all year long about faith. It goes like this. Faith is living with the confidence that God is who he says he is, and he'll keep his promise to give us grace and mercy in our time of need. That's really important. That's what we lean our lives against. And we've heard that over and over over the past year. God is good, and he'll keep his promise to take care of me. He promises. So if that's the definition of faith, um, it, it means this. Sometimes we're going to pray to God or ask God, God, will you help me or will you change things? And things will change. And I love it when I pray prayers and things change, especially when they change for the better. And sometimes we'll, we'll ask God to help us or, or fix things. And, and the answer will, will come back, not, not right now. Maybe later, but not, not right now. And I don't like that as well. But sometimes we'll ask God, God, will you change things and fix things and make him different or make her come home or whatever that is? And the answer will come back, no. But no matter how God answers our prayer, you know, Yes, later or no, every time he answers the same way with this. But I promise I'll take care of you. I'll give you grace. I'll give you mercy and love. I'll give you strength. I won't let this thing crush you. I, I will take care of you because I love you. And how, how do we know he'll keep his word? Because he, because he proved it. He proved his level of commitment to us about 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on a cross. He says, listen, if I didn't hold my son back from you, what makes you think I'm going to quit on you now? So when life gets hard and we look at God and ask him, you know, who are you? And why is this happening to me? The answer is always the same. God is good and he loves us and he promises to take care of us no matter what happens in our life. That's who he is. Well, the Foo Fighters are some of my favorite theologians, honestly. And also that was one of my favorite series that we did called All My Life. And in that, we just kind of looked at the fact that a lot of us feel the same way, uh, and a lot of us have been dealing with the same questions. All my life, I've been searching for something, but nothing ever satisfies, nothing ever seems to lead to nothing, and then we move on, on, on to the next one. And the series kicked off on Easter, and we spent, if you remember, about eight weeks in that series talking about some of the most significant questions that we ask, questions like, who am I really? And is there any purpose for my life? And if God's out there, does he really listen to me? And 
if God's out there, does he actually speak to people like me? And what about this whole Holy Spirit thing? That doesn't make much sense. And probably right in the middle of that series, one of the, one of the biggest things we looked at was if there's a God out there, then how in the world could a person like me ever have a relationship with him? Uh, but probably the overarching truth from this series, and Jim referenced it earlier, came from the book of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, which says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence that we might receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. And because the truth is, a lot of us would say, all my life, honestly, I've felt shut out, I've felt distant, I've felt cut off from God. If there is a God out there, I'm positive of one thing, He's really, really angry with me. And so the question became, how in the world could someone like me actually approach God with any measure of confidence to expect to receive anything other than a condemnation and a finger in my chest? And remember, a lot of us feel like we've spent most of our life just kind of on the outside of heaven, knocking on heaven's door. And then Randy did that awesome version of, of that song for us. And basically what we what we looked at is that a lot of us, what we do is we try to earn a relationship with God. And so kind of like Jim talked about earlier, we start trying to do a lot of good things or going to church and things like that. And we think that somehow on our own merit or on our own ability or our own credibility, uh, one day God's going to look at us and go, all right, well, you've finally done a good, good enough job to get into heaven, so here you go. You deserve a relationship with me. Some of us, though, are the exact opposite, and we know better than that. We know that there's no possible way that we could ever be good enough for God to accept us into a relationship with him. So we kind of swing the opposite direction, and we just totally give up. Because if I've proven anything in my life, I've proven that I don't measure up to God. I mean, I can't even measure up to my own standards, much less if there's a God out there would I ever be able to measure up to Him. And much less should I ever expect to receive anything like grace and mercy when I approach Him. And the truth is, some of us have just given up hope. And it's because we know that sin really does separate us from God. That's what it does. I mean, Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God. And a lot of us know that sin, just by nature, always leads to death. And that's what Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. And so because of that, we've given up hope. But there was this beautiful truth we unpacked in the middle of this series uh, where we kind of introduced for the first time this idea of the scapegoat. In the Old Testament, there was this yearly ritual that we've talked about a couple times where the priest would stand in front of all the people with one goat on one side and one goat on the other, and he would pray about the sins of the people, and they would slaughter one goat, and they would take the blood from that goat, put it on the live goat, and then they would send the live goat away into the wilderness, and they would all yell, away with him, away with him, and he was called the Azazel because that literally means away with him, and what we learn is, is that that was a foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do for us in taking away the sins of the world. Because while Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the very next verse says, And are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And yeah, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the next part of that verse says, But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, Jesus literally came to take away our sins. He took away everything that could potentially separate us from his Father God. And we learned that weekend that because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that's how we get to approach his throne and expect mercy, which means 
not receiving what I deserve, which would be condemnation and punishment. And also on top of that, we receive grace, which means receiving what I, I don't deserve, which is a relationship with God and eternal life, which is an amazing thing. And that weekend capped off with one of my favorite things that we ever do around here. It was baptism weekend and about 400 people that weekend literally approached the throne of grace with confidence that they would receive mercy and grace in their time of need. Not based on them being good, not based on them earning brownie points with God, not based on them going to church more, none of that. Based solely on what Jesus Christ accomplished for them on the cross, what he accomplished for all of us. And if you were here that weekend, it really was fun. We kind of launched into that party uh, by doing this reading from Isaiah chapter 53, uh, something that was written hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, but told the story of what Jesus would accomplish for people like you and me. And so why don't we kind of relive that now and I'll stand And let's read this verse together as we launch into another party this weekend. Who believes what we've heard and seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over. A man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him, thought he was scum, but the fact is, it was our pain he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures, but it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him, our sins. He took the punishment and that made us whole. Through his bruises we get healed. We all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way. And God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong, on Him. On Him. He was beaten, He was tortured, but He didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered and like a sheep being sheared, He took it all in silence. Justice miscarried and He was let off. And did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for His own welfare, beaten and bloody for the sins of the people. They buried Him with the wicked. They threw Him in a grave with a rich man. And even though He'd never hurt a soul or said one word that wasn't true, still it was what God had in mind all along, to crush Him with pain. The plan was that He give Himself as an offering for sin so that He'd see life come from it, life, life, and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through Him. Out of that terrible travail of soul... He'll see that it's worth it and be glad that he did it. Through what he experienced, my righteous one, my servant, will make many righteous ones. As he himself carries the burden of their sins, therefore I'll reward him extravagantly, the best of everything, the highest honors, because he looked death in the face and didn't flinch, because he embraced the company of the lowest. He took on his own shoulders the sin of the many. He took up the cause of all the black sheep. You know, as I look back over the last year, probably the, one of the biggest highlights for me came from a series we did called In the Margin, which actually came from a, a, a message you gave just before Christmas about how God really cares about marginalized people of the world. This is a verse that we just kind of ripped apart for, for over a month. It went like this. It's Isaiah chapter 1. It's the very end of a, a verse, and then a, a, the 17th verse goes like this. Isaiah says, stop doing wrong, which we talked about means stop doing nothing, and learn to do right. And Isaiah says, this is what I mean by doing right. He says, seek justice. Now, there's, there's people in the world that are, 
They're just being afflicted by injustice. They're just being pinned down and encouraged the oppressed. There are people that just can't get ahead. Uh, there are people that are abusing them, that are holding them back, and they just need help getting back on their feet. He says, defend the cause of the fatherless, which is the orphans of the world. Um, plead the case of the widow, the most vulnerable people on our planet. He says, the heart of God beats after those, so run after those people. Right, and so what we looked at is if God cares about people like that, uh, then we have to care about people like that. And here is the real kind of revolutionary truth. The truth is, we is people like that. And so we started identifying our brokenness with brokenness that we see all around us. And so we, we put a clear box out there in the lobby, and we just said, what, what if we all just put in a dollar, the price of a Coke, something like that, what do you think God could do with that? And if you were here, you remember God did amazing things. We remodeled a trailer, walked with a family through some of their greatest joy and some of their greatest sadness. Uh, we threw a party for some of the most marginalized girls in our community. Uh, we rescued some Haitian earthquake victims. And even last week, if you were here, uh, we put that box back out in the lobby. And I'm really happy to report we collected about $35,000 for flooding victims in Logar. And maybe the highlight of the year for a lot of us, we got to throw a really, really big party called Shine. Well, this is Labor Day weekend, and it's kind of the symbolic end of one season and the beginning of another, like summer vacation's over, and now we're going to launch into a school year, and then that leads to Christmas and New Year's, and on we go. And, you know, I, I kind of look at this next year in the life of Flatirons as being one of those transitional times where we've Today, you know, we've looked back over the past and kind of looked at where we've been, how God brought us to the place where we are individually in our lives and, and as a church. But I think this next year is going to be really, really big, big changes around here. Um, and there will always be change. That's not a bad thing. People change, times change, buildings change, addresses change. But one of the things that really strikes me, you know, this, this, this time in, in the life of, of, of our church is that some things can never change. And I think we've hit some of those pretty hard today, what brought us here and what we have to hold on to in the future. And that is... We got to hold on to this, this God that is good and that He loves us. And He demonstrated that, you know, through Jesus for us and, and that He will keep His promise to take care of us. We can lean our lives against that. And no matter if things get better or worse in our lives, we know that, that He'll take really good care of us. And we have to remember too that God cares about all people. Um, people like that. We as people like that, like Scott talked about a, a minute ago, that, that we, we can never, we can never just be concerned about ourselves. We have to keep on reaching out to more people to say that there is this God. He doesn't hate you and, and that He loves you. And those have to be the things that keep on driving everything we do. Right. And so that's why every year, usually in the summer, we kind of take a time out just to kind of recalibrate and remind ourselves of who we are, what got us to where we are, and where God wants to take us. And so there's certain things that are just always going to be non-negotiables around here. One of those is the Word of God. Um, we really do believe that it points to a better way to do life. And sometimes we're not going to agree with it or even like it, but it points to a better way to do life. And so we're going to come under its authority. And we're always going to teach people about how Jesus really is the only way that we can reconnect back to God because of this thing called sin in our life. And we're going to, we're going to teach that with a lot of grace, um, but we're also going to, we're going to point to truth in a really, really loving and graceful way. And we really are going to continue to call each other into relationship with one another as difficult as that is and as messy as that can be we really do believe that life is is better lived when we're trying to do this together and we're going to continue to just challenge each other to to pitch in in any way that we can and bring our unique gifts to the table and to try to move this church down the road as as God wants us to and we really are really passionate about creating a place 
where we're not going to shove Jesus down anybody's throat. Um, we're not going to beat anybody upside the head with the Bible, but we really do just want people to be able to bump into Jesus. And more than anything else, we want to create a place where um, everybody who does get the chance to bump into Jesus at Flatirons is going to feel compelled to invite people they love and care about to come and see. Those are the things that matter most to us around here, and those things will never change. So those things can never change, and the reason is because Jesus never changes. We're going to end our service today with this thing called communion. Um, communion is not just this religious ritual that we find in the Bible. It's actually a gift that Jesus gave us because he knows us pretty well. He knows that we're going to tend to forget, forget that we're forgiven, forget that he loves us, and forget what it takes to be reconnected back to God. And it's not by being good and the things we've talked about today, you know, of trying to prove to God or that, that, that we can somehow offset our sin. It's all based on Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. And so we take a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice, which represents Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And we take that and we remember and we just say thank you to him. So we're going we're gonna to do that today. Um, here's the other thing, though. As, as we take communion, we're going to learn this new song. And it's, it's an awesome song. Um, it's called Revelation Song. And the reason it's called Revelation Song is that most of the words are taken out of this book in the Bible called Revelation, right at the end of the Bible. And, and the words are awesome. Listen to some of these words. It starts like this. It says, sing a new song. And the reason is because Jesus is worthy to receive honor and praise and glory. And it goes on and says that he's holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and is to come. Meaning he used to be like this, he's still like this today, and he'll be like this forever. Then he goes on and says, with all creation I sing praise to the King of Kings. You're my everything and I adore you. I think that sums up everything we've talked about today. He never changes. He loved us yesterday. You know, while we were still screwing up, he loves us today and he loves us tomorrow because we're going to screw up, but he still loves us, but... So this new song is awesome, and the reason it's awesome is because it's true. So how about this? How about we learn a new song all together right now? So if you're here for the first time, we're all in the same boat. Nobody's heard this song before, but let's let those words kind of sink in, and maybe we sing it several times over the next several months. But about eight months from this weekend, we're going to move across the road on Easter, and, and what if we broke that new building in with this? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and is to come. Because if that's true then the best really is yet to come.